I'm going to call Brian Sensky up at this time. I'm going to introduce him. Brian has been married for many years, 13 years, right? 13? About that, yeah. And he's been coming to Bethany Church for 13 years. They have four beautiful kids. He has a tremendous story, and I'm going to cut this short so I can give Brian as much time as possible. But he and his wife, Jacqueline, have been serving faithfully here for a long time, and we're so grateful for you guys. So I'm going to turn it over to you. And one last thing. Um, because children's ministry got a, a slightly late start today, we're going to plan to go to 1125 with the service. And so, just so you know, once Brian's done and the worship comes back up, we're going to go probably till about 1125. If that's a problem, you can obviously go get your children early. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Doug. Good morning, Bethany Church. Uh, Doug, thanks for that introduction again. So, I feel really lucky to have the chance to stand up here and deliver a message to you guys today uh, on like Dave preached about yesterday, one of, the, one of the weightier matters, even in perspective of what we talked about with the Priest Church today, and that's how we shepherd um, our finances as Christians. So let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, please prepare our hearts, Lord, as we learn about what your hope is for us and our finances and what the Word instructs us to think about in this area. Uh, we know that in our flesh we tend towards selfishness, uh, but we pr- pray that we shift our earthly focus to how we can expand your kingdom here. We love you, Lord. Amen. So quick disclaimer, uh, in my Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, I'm a financial advisor. So as it relates to speech, speaking on generosity, it could, could have come across a little bit hypocritical, but my heart in helping people think about their finances truly in this is that these our resources as we've been blessed with to help expand God's kingdom here on earth. I also just want to get that out of the way. So why do we even talk about money in church? How is it relevant? Just to look at the quantity of scripture on this topic, it talks about money, resources, wealth, uh, treasure over 800 times throughout the scriptures. And one takeaway is not actually that, that resources or possessions are bad, uh, but the desire for them, how our heart interacts with that desire is what we need to be cautious of. We can just look to the parable of the talents where Jesus calls the servant that multiplied the talents he was given as faithful uh, and did not do that with, with his servants that did nothing with them. Truly one takeaway I hope we have from this message is that it's not what we have that we need to be worried about. It's our heart towards what we have that we need to be worried about. My purpose is also to just tell you a little bit about my story and, and how I got here today and just the hope I have for Bethany Church. So I grew up in Burnsville, going to a very large Lutheran church and went, was very blessed in Mappergreen, had a, had a fantastic family life, uh, could not have been, been more blessed. We went to church every Sunday, went to youth group every Wednesday, and I can say with honesty, I bet 99.9% of the people I came across I thought were Christians. And that, that stayed throughout my, my upbringing and really never changed that perspective until I went to a Lutheran college and met several other people and some mentors of mine who challenged me on my faith and how walking in with the Lord looks different and, and we're meant to look different. And, that, and meeting my wife Jacqueline as well at college really shifted, shifted how I thought about my faith. Uh, we, we got married, and soon thereafter, uh, recon, reconnected with my dear friends from growing up, Ryan and Shannon Lindsay, 
who told us about this great church they were attending here at Bethany and came once and have never left and have been hooked ever since. And I think what, what caught us was, was the idea that there's this living for the age to come that we're still talking about today. It was, it was something Jacqueline and I had never encountered growing up or in our faith walk, and it just kept us coming back, kept us coming back, and just the depth of this church body has kept us connected. In 2007, Jacqueline and I both were, were baptized again, and, and I consider that the day I was reborn. I think a month after starting to attend Bethany, I was invited to join the board of trustees at that time uh, and ha- had a great experience with that. But, but now I, I serve on the finance ministry team and also the storehouse fund. And I'll abbreviate what I was going to talk about the storehouse fund because Doug, I think, did uh, a really good job uh, mentioning some of the really amazing initiatives that the storehouse fund has, ever, has undertook in setting aside resources for the least of these, the poor, orphan, refugee, and persecuted. And I just must say, serving on that, on that team has been a phenomenal experience and I think is a unique aspect of what we have going on here at Bethany Church. Last February, Jacqueline, myself, and our, our 11-year-old son, Logan, uh, went on a short-term mission trip that the, uh, the missions ministry team sponsored, and that was life-changing. We've, Jacqueline and I have spoken about our experience on that before, but it is something I would encourage all of you to do especially with your children, if you have not. Jacqueline and I don't come from a missions background. We didn't attend Bethany Global University. We've really not had much exposure to missions other than just what is talked about up here. And I will tell you the takeaway from that trip was that it's, you can't understand what our missionaries do unless you go walk with them for a week and see the struggles they have on a daily basis, the sacrifices they make on a daily basis to try to expand God's word and some of those most difficult places. And it's an experience I think that my 11-year-old will take with him for the rest of his life, and I continue to pray that it shapes what he decides to do with his talents. So enough about me. Uh, Let's shift to some of the scripture we want to go through today. So first, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, a great place to start when we think about our resources and our treasures on the earth. The scripture says, and Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But why moth and rust? I thought a lot about that this week. You know, really? Like moth and rust. I'm not handy. I don't understand a lot of those sort of, you know, basic earth things. But th- this is what I, this is the conclusion I came to, is that rust affects things in the open, right? We leave things out in our yard, our car stays out too long, rust affects it. Moths affect things in the darkness, you know, back in the day that Jesus, I don't know if they had closets or not, I'm not sure. But I know that moths can affect things in closets. And the simple takeaway for me is that whether we, we're, we're leaving our treasure in the open or whether we're hiding it somewhere that no one else can see, this earth can destroy it. On the other hand, if we're investing into things that are eternal and they're uncorruptible, and we're investing in the kingdom, 
this earth can't touch it. The question is, what do we do with that? To unpack this a little bit, I actually want to shift to Luke chapter 12. In Luke 12, Jesus is preaching to thousands of people that are trampling each other as, as he's getting back to Jerusalem. And he tells things that as behaviors, believers should follow. He transcended a parable called the parable of the rich fool, which only shows up in Luke. And I'm just going to summarize how this parable goes. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus quickly said to him, Man, who made me the judge or arbitrator overview? And he said to them, Jesus said to him, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told him a parable, and it goes like this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And the man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all this excess crops. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. Calling his soul back. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be now? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This rich fool says, what shall I do? He has anxiety over his abundance. And then God calls him a fool. Think about what is foolish to God. So we have a man who owns a farm, and his farm produces plentifully. Or he has a business, and his business produces plentifully. And this man is anxious about, God, this is a problem. What do I do? And he tears down these barns or warehouses he has, and he invests into bigger ones so he can store more stuff. In an American context, this is called a good business decision, right? But God calls him a fool. Well, what makes him a fool? His only concern is that his soul can relax. His soul can be merry. That is the man's concern. That was the heart around his decision to store more goods. In these next few passages, I'm going to go through what Jesus and God are trying to explain is that you can't serve both the the money you want to possess here on earth or the money you're trying to possess here on earth and God. You can't do it. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In 1 Timothy 6, 9, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. It's it's not to be rich, and I'm not going to unpack that entirely today. It's, It's not to be rich that drowns. 
It's the desire to be rich that drowns. Intertwined in this idea of worrying about access or worrying about money, Jesus also, in, chap- in chapter 12 of Luke, explains kind of the, the base necessities, what, what he does for our needs. In Luke chapter 12, verse 29, he says, And do not seek what you should eat or you should drink, nor have an anxious mind, for all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things should be added to you. Sometimes my kids ask, you know, why, why, does, why are some kids hungry? You know, we went to Africa. Like, why, do, why do some kids not have those basic needs? I don't know the answer to that. I, but I know that Scripture repeatedly talks about that God will take care of our basic needs. So on one hand, on, on Jesus is promising to take care of what we need. On the other hand, there's a lot of Scripture around us worrying too much about having too much. But is there a middle ground? Is there any scripture around a middle ground? And I wanted to share a few of those passages with you. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, King Solomon says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? unless I be poor and steal and profane in the name of God. The Apostle Paul also wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, that he learned how to be content with both poverty and abundance. He says, I know how to get along with humble means and how to be content with both poverty and, excuse me, he says, I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. I have learned the secret both of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. How many of us can relate to that? How many of you have had seasons of poverty? And how many of you have had seasons of abundance? This sermon series is titled Living Generously for the Age to Come. I'm not here... um, to say this, this is new, but I'm just going to say it. I think Jesus was the most generous person to ever live on the face of the planet, right? He was generous with his skills, his talents, and ultimately, obviously, with his life. And as Christians, in a way, trying to emulate him, I think we're, we're also called to be generous. I think that's pretty easy to say. But where we struggle is how to be generous and how much, right? What does generosity look like? When I got into financial advising, I've had a lot of interesting conversations with clients, but one that sticks with me, some of these conversations I had early on in my career continue to stick with me. I was having a conversation with a client around tax time, and he owed a few hundred dollars to the government, the IRS in Minnesota, and we were reviewing his tax situation, and at the end of, the, of going through his current year, he, he made the comment to me, he said, well, you know, Brian, if if I owe $200 to the government this year, why don't I just next year give a couple more hundred dollars to my church and then I won't owe the IRS anything at the end of the year? And I said to him, you know, sir, just to be clear, that's not how it works exactly. If, if you give $200 more to your church next year, it doesn't mean you're going to pay the IRS $200 ne- 
next year less. That's not, it's not a dollar-for-dollar dollar difference. I'm not going to go into the boringness of tax law. Um, but th- the reason I bring that up is that I think there, there was a conception for him, and, and he actually said to me, he said, well, then why am I giving all this money to charity? Like, why am I, why am I, tith- why am I tithing, which he indeed, he indeed tithed? And that gets to the heart of it. Right? I, th- I think with our giving, there can be an expectation of something in return. For him, it was the idea that he was saving taxes for his giving. I mentioned a mentor of mine that I encountered in college that really changed my outlook on how I walk with the Lord. His favorite verse that he, he hammers on is Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I'm sure we've all heard this before, but I'll say it again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. He, um, he dumbed it down for our football team and just said, give your gifts for free. Give your gifts for free. I try to use this concept in our family and try to use it with, with our workplace as well. But I think what this verse is saying is that when we're pressing into something, we shouldn't worry about what's in it for us. And from a football analogy, think about offensive and defensive linemen, right? They're out there every play just hammering each other, and why are they doing it, especially in small college football where you're playing in front of 200 people, like, what, what, why, why do you go do that? And the reason that our coach was trying to tell us is you're doing it for your buddy. You're doing it for your brother. Um, they weren't the ones who were showing up in the newspaper or getting stats, but those offensive and defensive linemen are the ones that are just are giving it all they have on every play for their buddies. And he was trying to instill an atmosphere where all of us were living in that way. All of us were, were on every play and every day in the locker room you know, just in our relationships, just pressing into that and giving our gifts for free. I think this is a relationship concept, too, and I'll take a little sidebar on this. You know, in your relationships, how often are you pouring into it, investing into relationships and expecting something back? Are there relationships in your life that you're frustrated with because you're pouring in and you're not getting out of it what you expected? I know with my two-year-old... Um, my two-year-old loves her mom, and who can blame her, right? <laughs> but I find myself, like, just doing the extra thing for, for our little daughter, Bryn. Like, when I get home from work, I'll get down on the floor and I'll play with her, or I'll, you know, slip her a piece of Halloween candy, you know, all these little things. But I'm doing it, I think, because I want her to let me put her to bed at night, right? There's, there's like, this ulterior motive, and I'm, we're still not there yet, but I'm working on it. But how many of you in your relationships, even with your kids, with your spouse, with your coworkers, with your friends, you, you might pour into it, but there's an ulterior motive. There's something you're trying to get out of it for yourself. So what, how do we give our gifts for free? And I, I want to transition to think, how, when we give to the local church, are, are we giving our gifts for free when we give to the local church, or is there an expectation for something in return? In our society today, there's a continual quest for convenience and comfort and ease of doing anything, um, experiential things. This, this is a crazy thing that 
I think epitomizes this. This week, I was trying to text the word Bloomington to somebody, and I texted B-L-O, and internally, I was so frustrated that my phone didn't predict that I was trying to type Bloomington. I don't remember what words it was suggesting, but it wasn't Bloomington. And I, I literally was, I was frustrated I had to finish typing the word out. That's the world we live in today. And it's only going to get worse, right? I mean, it's only going to get worse. Think of that old Nokia 2003 phone you had that was a big block, right? Think how far we've come in 13, 14 years. It's only going to get worse. But the question is, should that change the expectation we have for our local church. I'm not the first one to say this. I've heard Doug Goodman say it. I've heard Dave Wilcock. I've heard Matt Adair say this. So I'm going to say it. We're not a come and see church. I think we're a go and tell church. There's roles to play in the kingdom for both. Let's agree on that. But this church has depth and an ability to go to places that are incredible. It has a focus on living for the age to come. As I've been preparing for this message, I've been listening to some, to some worship music, and, and there's, a, there's a phrase in a song that, at the end, it says, I'm all in. And that's just been like, hit me in the face for two weeks straight. I'm all in. And, and obviously the, the, the song is talking about being all in for, for the Lord, but it's just been hitting me. It's been hitting me like, where am I all in? Am I all in with my marriage? Am I all in with my faith? Am I all in with my family? Am I all in with Bethany Church? Am I all in with my finances? Like, where am I all in? And where am I not? I'm going to invite the worship team up for a second, um, or at this point. So I want to look at Mark chapter 12, verse 41, where Jesus explains how how he, he can evaluate some generosity. He sat down opposite the treasury and observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. And I, I love this. He's sitting down observing, right? I mean, just, just picture Jesus sitting there observing these people putting their money in the treasury. He says, many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow also came in and put in two small coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to himself, he said to them, Amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury. For they have all contributed from their surplus wealth, but she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood. Some of you, or maybe most of you, have heard of a man named Warren Buffett. He's the fourth richest person on this planet. And over the last 10 years, he's given away $38 billion. That's with a B. That's $38 billion. Now, he still has $89 billion left, okay? But that's a lot. Compare that to the single mother who, during the holiday season, drops a few dollars 
in the Salvation Army bucket on our way into the grocery store. Or compare that to a story that was in the news a few weeks ago highlighting a homeless man who gave a few extra dollars that he had to a woman who didn't have enough money to get home on a bus. I'm not here to judge those gifts, but I know relative to what we see in Scripture that there's an accounting that's not about the $38 billion versus the $2. That's not the accounting. The accounting is for what's in your heart. I want to revisit Matthew six nineteen through 21 again, where it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I just want to say thank you to Bethany Church. And I want to say thank you to the generations of, of families that founded this place. I want to say thank you to the, the staff that have poured in talents over the last few decades to make this place what it is. Uh, Jacqueline and I are so grateful for the experience our kids have had here and the depth that they have in their understanding of their walk with Jesus relative to my walk for the first 30 years of my life. This week, or early next week, you'll be receiving a pledge card that the elders of the church and the finance ministry team are sending out. This is an opportunity for you or for you and your spouse to have some dialogue about where your treasures are. As a church in the 13 years we've been coming here, we've never really had this dialogue. But I think it's a really important one. There's a lot of scripture around evaluating or having a thoughtful, intentional approach to where your treasures are. And that's what this pledge card's about. There's no accountability to the elders. There's no accountability to the finance team. It will never be opened. It's simply an accountability between you and the Lord. Are you all in? Are you storing treasures where moth or rust can destroy it? Or are you investing into the kingdom? Are you investing those excesses you've been blessed with for God? Let's close and pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, um, we are just so grateful for this church, Lord. We're, we're so grateful for the resources you've blessed us with. Uh, God, but we, we need to look in our hearts, Lord. We need to look in our hearts and ask ourselves, are we in a spot where we're loving money so much it can corrupt us? Are we in a spot where we can do more? What's your intention for the things you've given us, Lord? In your name.